This is Chris Lindsay, and you're listening to Pitch List. Hey, kids, it's Chris with Pitch List, the songwriter's podcast. We've got a good one today. I went out and interviewed Tom Douglas, and uh, you're in for a treat. Thinking back, I believe I met Tom within a couple of years of moving to Nashville, Tennessee, maybe 1995. I met him with uh, Amy Mayo, my wife now, then just co-writer. We met him at the Fire Hall, which is the uh, separate building from Sony Tree right off of Music Row. They used to call it the Fire Hall. I don't know why. Had a pool table in there and a main room. And then these kind of whitewashedy writer's rooms. And one of them had a beat up old piano that Tom loved to play. Um, and he wrote in that room. When I met Tom, I knew that he had written Little Rock by Colin Ray. And really, I, I was completely in love with that song. The bridge on that thing just knocked me out. Um, I grew up listening to Jimmy Webb and loving that big orchestral chromatic uh, type of moves that Jimmy Webb did in the early Glenn Campbell work. And I thought that uh, Tom kind of got into that a little bit. And it was, you know, you know what the thing is? It was a hit song and it was great to me. So it was one of the first times I had seen a big country hit, you know, intersect with with my heart as to what I what I like to do and what I liked. It really gave me hope and it was so great to meet Tom and become friends with Tom. We wrote we wrote a lot of songs. We always had fun. Tom's a hoot. He's uh you know, he's got two sides. He's a very serious man, uh poet, writer, uh deacon in his church, very spiritual guy. Uh 100% and he has another side is very silly. Way more silly than people probably would know. Uh as the Warren brothers say uh Nobody ever knew about Tom Douglas. He was like that far away from standing up on Joe Galani's desk with a shotgun, which is not true, but we used to laugh pretty hard about that. Tom Douglas would not hurt a flea, but he uh, is passionate about his music. And uh, the first time I wrote with him, he warned me he didn't write like other people. He said that uh, he threw his line way out in the water when he went fishing or writing. And he said he was very likely to bring back license plates, garbage cans, pieces of trash or tires. And then every now and then he'd, he'd catch the big one. But they were out there where all that other crazy stuff was. So you never really knew. And, you know, through the years, we, we sort of, uh, Amy and I always viewed Tom as what we call a home run hitter. A lot of strikeouts, but when he hits it, when he, hit, when he connects, it's, it's, the, it's the real thing. It's the big, the home run shot. My favorite kind of rider. So here's my uh, early, uh, let's see, let's say early afternoon or late morning. Sat down with Tom at his house in Franklin, Tennessee, and just had a fantastic conversation. Okay, this is Chris Lindsay here today with the fabulous, <laughs> the, I can't even come up with the words, <laughs> Tom Douglas, I'm so happy that you could do this with us today, Tom Douglas. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Um, I was getting ready for our talk today, and I, I went through a lot of stuff, and I thought, well, you know, when I'm getting ready for a podcast, I'm thinking, okay, what do I want to ask Tom, and, you know, where, where, where would I start? 
So I'm thinking I'll probably start at the beginning. Um, I think I met you in 1994, 95. Is that about right? I think it was. Well, I was thinking about that. I moved here. Well, I started coming here uh, from Dallas uh, in about 1993. And I, I still lived in Dallas and I would come one week a month. And then I moved my family here in 97. So I don't know if we met, we may have met in passing, you know, before I actually lived here. Uh, or, you know, maybe it was like right around. Maybe 97. it was 97. Yeah. That sounds about right. I basically, just to let everybody know, uh, I kind of stalked you. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. But I I, I did. Um, I had moved here. I didn't really have much going on. I was writing for Johnny Slade over there uh, when they had Joe, yes. Joe Diffie, and they had uh, just Tim was just starting out. But uh, Colin Ray's Little Rock had come out. Right. And I'd been in town for maybe a year or so. And I, and I mean... It's still one of my favorite <laughs> songs ever, 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 ever in country music. I think it, it just was, uh, I really believe it, it was a, a moment where a, a lot of things changed. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, maybe, and, and it might not, that artist, that song, maybe it doesn't have its place in history that way, but with the writing community and with the effect, mm -hmm. like for me personally of, Oh, you can can you do that? Is that allowed to do? I mean, I didn't think we could do that. Right. Well, it was a you know it was the convergence, I think, of a lot of facts. Uh, I mean, it was probably helpful that I didn't live here, that I wasn't you know immersed right. in the country music community. I wasn't really writing country songs. I had finally, you know, after years and years of uh, writing songs. I, I've been in, lived in Nashville once from 80 to 84. Then I left never to return mm -hmm. and finally moved back in 1997. But it was about 19, you know, 92, 93 that in my, you know, creative, my various creative crisis, crises <laughs> that, you know, I'm continuing to have. Uh, at that point, I sat down uh, I tried everything else, and I, I really—I mean, I've said this before—but I'd really taken the, you know, the, the creation, and I'd, I'd I'd made it an idol. I'd really worshipped, mm -hmm. you know, at the at the at the foot at the altar of creation of the Almighty Song, and I focused so much on that that I lost my, I lost my flow. I lost. I really, I became blinded to it. It was crazy, and it was ultimately that I finally like okay. I got to get my eyes back on the creator, on God. Right. And once I did that, then I could, you know, have the proper context with uh, with the creative process. Now, I read that when you wrote Little Rock, maybe it was a period in your life when you were being successful at another career. Yeah. And that you had sort of let go of your dream of being a songwriter or yes. a Nashville songwriter. Yes. And that the song was written more from a point of pure joy and maybe what you'd like to hear. And then the, uh, yeah, the, I think that that's true? right. Yes, yes. It was I think that's interesting. It was uh it was you know, it's like so many things. It's the it's the already and the not yet. I mean, it there is there's always a tension. I think, you know, we live creative people we have to be willing to live in the tension so yes i was i had achieved some success as a real estate broker in dallas and yes i had uh um i'd really given up 
any hope of, you know, getting a song recorded. At the same time, I was finally just enjoying right. the gift of creativity. And then that led to a door opening and everything changing. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the lesson. Right. Yeah. And I've seen it more. I've talked to several people about this. I had it happen in my life. Right. Yeah. With the song called A Place in the Sun. Yes. Where I, I was writing for Johnny Slade and they were extremely country. That whole operation was just like country to the bone. I didn't really know how to do it. I tried to do it and I didn't do it well. Yeah. Then one day out of sheer desperation, I went back to what I loved, which yes. was more of a Beatles thing. And wrote a song that I didn't think anyone would care about, and right. that changed everything for me. Yes, and I've heard the story more than once, and I think it's important for people. I don't know if you're just starting out, if you're just however long you've done it. It's amazing how much what we think doesn't work will work. Yeah, or how or how counterintuitive things can be. Yeah. To me, the lesson I take from it is if something's in your heart, then it's there for a reason, mm-hmm. and 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 put that out. Yeah, and I think in uh, you know in connection with that, you've 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 ultimately you've got to you've got to just do the thing that you do. That's right. There is a you know there is a specificity that we all have that if you can if you can finally drill it all down and put the blinders on and just focus in on what is the one thing that I really do well mm-hmm. and just let your give yourself permission to do right. it. I mean the crazy thing is we still can spend years and years oh, yeah. you know running in circles like a dog chasing his tail trying to be somebody else. Oh, and we can forget. It's so I mean you forget it's easy. from one day to yeah, the next. Yeah, every morning you kind of wake up and I've forgotten a lot of stuff. It's you, I think what you say is also true for artists. Yes. That I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed, there's a guy like Tim McGraw is I heard him say it one night. He said, I got one can of beans and I know how to sell it. Right. And yeah. I thought, man, right. That, that's a little bit deeper than you might think. You know what I mean? He right. He's saying he knows who he is. He knows what the fans want from him. He knows what he does. Right. And, and he always does it. Yeah. I think the artists that, that have stood the test of time, there is that, that central core belief yeah. and understanding of who they are. Because you as a songwriter... Really, you're an artist too. Yes. Even if, and I know you make records and you are an artist in your own right. And I personally prefer your vocals to <laughs> the quote unquote records. But in addition, I think most songwriters are artists. I think they are. I think you need to think of yourself like that. Yes. As a songwriter singer, not necessarily a singer. I mean, they're singer songwriters, but I think it depends on what you place the emphasis on. And I think. Yes, I'm a songwriter first, but I'm a singer also. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, every day that we write a song, we really, I mean, it's it should be our artistic expression mm-hmm. of, at some point, some, you know, some flavor of who we are. Well, as I was preparing, I went, I told you earlier, I went through and listened to your speech in the induction of the Country Songwriters Hall of Fame, which is incredible. I would say anybody listening to this Finish listening to this, but when you're done, <laughs> go right to YouTube and you can find several copies of it. Tom's yeah. speech is inspired. That's all I can tell you. Thank Just you. go watch it. It's it's incredible. But um, we were talking about you actually being an artist and being inspired. And, and my question is, do you, and I think we agree about something, and I think it's important that people know this. And I, I know a lot of successful people that agree with this. When you write a song and it's on your heart, to write this, 
um, it's going to be the most successful depending on how many people it helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much service it does. Right. And it's counterintuitive to think that an act of service will get you paid. But right. actually, people, the more service you can do, the more money. Like the bigger house you got really equates, unless you inherited it. Right. It, it equates, equates how much service you do in the world. Yeah. Even someone like Oprah, because she got up every morning and thought, what, what, am I li- what would help my people the most? Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't and, thought about that. And I think in our business, it's the same. And it's it, like I said, it is counterintuitive, but mm-hmm. you often do it. It seems like, you know, some people would put it as a spiritual thing. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's a practical thing of, you know, trying to write that song that that means something to someone in that position, in that situation, yeah, right? To help, yeah. Um, after all is said and done, after seventeen hundred songs over twenty four years, I have I've realized I have really written about the same thing. It's the same character, um, and I used to refuse to admit that the character was autobiographical, but I think truly it there there. All the songs that are really, you know, my best songs, I think the true songs. I mean, I've, I've always tried to write the truth, but I don't always do that. Sometimes I get lost in the murkiness and, mm-hmm. and you know, I fail miserably. But, um, well, you fish far out. You say that. I do. You, you yeah, do fish far right. out. And, and I heard you say one time, you said, you know, I throw the line way out. So sometimes we bring in license plates and old yes. tires. And you know, nineteen thirty-two right. Ford Fairlane parts, right? And sometimes we catch the big one, but that's the yeah. risk you take. Yeah, uh, Alan Shamblin, my frequent co-writer mm-hmm. and friend, he he says, you know, we're we're fishing for marlin, which is you know that that's what the old man in the sea was right, the big, for. the big, the trophy. big one. So yeah, I mean, with that, you're going to fail, you know, a lot, but but nonetheless so i've written about the same thing which is largely home i've written about the same character and i keep putting the same character in precarious uh you know situations only to have to rescue him which is a, the dramatic uh that's how it works that's yeah. all storytelling that's how it works you right. have this character who makes a transformation an arc of his character from yes. a to b hopefully right. in a good way Right. And and then he has to solve all these things that come at him. Yes. Like the, you to get him in trouble and then you get him out. Yeah, the guy, the famous guy that teaches the screenwriting class, I can't think of yeah, his name. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. But he says the definition of a story is somebody wants something and has to go through an obstacle to get it. Yeah. That is every story from Harry yeah. Potter Any to great Genesis fiction, it's, to Shakespeare. Yeah. If you're reading it too, if you're working on fiction, I know because uh, my wife Amy has been working on the book for a long time and it's taken a lot of courses. So just kind of laying beside her in bed, I've right. absorbed a lot. Yes, over ten years. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you're looking at why some fiction is not working, the first place to look is did what do these characters want and do I care? Yes, exactly. Because a character, you know, they they have to want something badly and i have to be invested enough to want it for them yes or i won't read on exactly yeah 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 well it's the same thing i think in songs and movies and you know in even paintings we're trying to create an opportunity to have a shared experience with the listener with the viewer with the with the audience mm-hmm. and so cuz ultimately what people want to do we all you know, it's it's our own self-interest. 
It really is our, that's the primary motivation in, in everything, which is what we want to do is we want to apply our own life story over somebody else's art. That's that's really, I think, you know, why people That's interesting. Care. So go talk more about that. Well, this will sound like I'm trying to use a, you know, a very deep literary uh, metaphor, but Les Miserables, you know, mm-hmm. has been around since the 1700s, and there's a character, Jean Valjean, and, um, you know, he's a criminal, um, and uh, he gets taken in by a priest as the evening wears on. Uh, instead of being grateful, he steals the priest, you know, silver candelabra, is, a, you know, is apprehended by the police. Police bring him back, and... Uh, you know, they say, did this man steal your silver candelabra? And the priest says, no, I gave it to him. It's a gift. And he's Jean Valjean. He's just hmm. astounded. Like, you know, he experienced grace instead of the law for the first time. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I think the reason why we still read Les Miserables, why they're bearing plays that have run for years, is because we find ourselves in the character of Jean, Jean Valjean. We feel guilty. You know, and we need grace. The reason why we mm-hmm. like Harry Potter is at some point, you know, we're all, we all feel like we're orphans and we need to be taken right. in. Every Disney, you know, character, all the Disney animated movies, honestly, they, they all have uh, orphan children. I mean, that's kind of one of the commonalities of all those. That's things. like a, what they call like a, a myth or a mythology yes. or, uh, Archetype, yeah, right, right, yeah. The the it's almost a, a fable. I think it's deep within us. And it's a met. Is it a metaphor for us, sort of who finding out who we are and sort of looking for God as a yes. father, kind of? Yeah, I mean, I, I wonder I, if it's th- that basic. If it's just, uh, you know, well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it. I think we're, you know, I mean, Ecclesiastes says we're born with eternity in our hearts. So we're always longing mm-hmm. for something yeah. eternal. Joseph Campbell, did you? Yeah, right. You know, he talked about that, and he talked about the the the. It's it's a, a myth that's been around a long time. It's been right. around a long time, and it's basically the story of these aren't my real parents. I'm, yes, I'm of noble birth. Right, like I'm God's child. Right, really. yeah. Not these uh, farmers out here or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <the, laughs> hardworking people. But uh, the hero has a thousand faces. Yeah, I think is yeah. A- and he, but 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 he's he's secretly of noble birth, and the trials and tribulations of life, he discovers that. Yeah, so that's. So I think we all have that in our that that's part of our. That's a gag that always works. It is. I know it. Comes, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it, it's like a. That that feeling, that emotion, that place always works on almost every human, I guess. Well, we all feel lost and we want yeah. to be found. We all feel broken and we're mm-hmm. looking for healing. We all yep. feel lonely and we're looking for a friend. I mean, it's and we and, and in our world, uh, we all understand the concept of grace. Yes, intellectually, right, but often can't figure that it applies to us. Yeah, it's it's one of the it's the one thing that you know. Is truly too good to be true. Yeah, and I I, I believe it's true, but I still struggle yeah, in oh my gosh, life. Yeah. Like you know, deep down, it's like no, no, you're not. You know, you're an asshole. You don't deserve you don't, that. Yeah, right. like you did this, you did that. It's like yeah, it's so weird. You know, when you look at it, it's like if you look at your children and you say, "What would you forgive your children?" I think, well, I'm, probably anything. Really, <laughs> I mean, you know, they're just kids. They make mistakes. Right. 
you know, I'm going to get them through this, help them learn, pick them up and then go on. And it, but it's so impossible to take that position for yourself with you and God. Yes. I don't know why. Well, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, the, the concept of, you know, innately, I think we all, we all want to fix it. We all want to, we want to be good enough. And you only have, you only have to come to the point where it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm not good enough. I mean, thus, you know, enter Christ the Savior who mm-hmm. was only good enough to to do it for us, you know, and right. and through through him, um, you know, we're able to finally get to God. But I mean there has to be a mediator for the, you know, for the mm-hmm. for the for the for the chasm that's been created by sin. So we're yeah, so it's a it's a and lot to think about. It is. And you know what's interesting? If you follow that myth of that basic story, even into the Jesus story, it's kind of all the same. Mm-hmm. It all kind of hits the same notes. Yeah, the, there, there are many similarities. The difference in Christianity and, the, and, the, and almost other religions is all other religions are about doing. Like, you got to be good right. enough. Right. And Christianity is all about done. It's done. Mm-hmm. Really, once, once the you know, once Jesus yeah. died on the cross and the stone was rolled away, it was done. And do you and you you know more about this than me? But and we're kind of sidetracking. But I think it's interesting. <laughs> um, was Christianity always was that always the doctrine of the church, or is that a? I think that's an evolved position of christianity um, that you don't have to do anything for grace well of Did, course, uh, so let's say like in 900 when the yeah. catholic church was the only church yeah did they did you know they did give you 40 hail marys and you know you right. have to go do whatever you do yeah i don't know well of course the through the the time you know the corruption of the true gospel you right. know occurred and a lot of that did happen within the you know, okay. within yeah, the yeah, Catholic I get Church, it. I get and then, it. then the Reformation. You know, right. when Martin Luther with Martin came Luther. Yep. in the early 1500s, he was reforming the Church, not the Catholic Church, but the Church, the body of right. God, trying to reform them back to the true gospel. You know, mm-hmm. so it it had it had gotten very corrupted with abuses in the Catholic Church, and sure. So the Reformation. Well, any anything that man is involved in. It's not it's a big surprise. Screwed up. <laughs> they got screwed up. I don't <laughs> hold it against them. It's like you know, it's just you what know, we do. It's what we do. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, the way I look at it, this is all a big school. So yeah. if we didn't have these things to screw up, we wouldn't learn anything. <laughs> right. You know, one thing I know at this point in my life is like you can know that something's wrong, and that's cool. You can have done something wrong, and you really know about it. Right. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you really know not to do it Experience. if you've suffered the consequences. That's, that's, that's true. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Pitch List, the songwriter's podcast. To, I want to ask you a question. So, how many times? Because I was reading your whole story. Yeah. Okay. How many times did you like quit m- music? Um. Well, you know. So you know, what I, mean? I mean, like, yeah, I'm yeah. done with this. Well, I'm gonna do this other thing now. Uh, I mean, I, I I threaten to quit every other day still. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, yeah, well, I 
I finally, you know, I, I went to, a, a, I grew up in a household that where education really was kind of preeminent. And uh, so I'd gone to college and graduate school, and I just, I couldn't imagine, as much as I love music and love right. songwriting, I couldn't imagine. Disapp- and you got a master's, right? So I, I mean, yeah. You, oh, okay. So I couldn't imagine disappointing my parents and saying, Okay, great. After all that, all after all the sacrifices mm-hmm. of getting me all this education, now I'm going to go be you, you know, know a riverboat neck. I'm going to be a riverboat gambler. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to shave my head, get tattoos. Yeah, and be I'm going to join the Hari Krishnas, and yes, that's about what it is. Yes, I, there was no possible no, way, and until the point of 27, when I finally said. No, I think I am going to finally run away from home. So I, so you fought it. I did. I, I and then tried. You, yeah. the, then you gave in to it. I finally gave in to it. I found some guys that liked writing, and you know, I found a publisher in Atlanta, Bill Lowry, and he let me pitch his catalog in Nashville for about a year. And then I, you know, I booked bands, and I gave blood at a blood bank, <laughs> and I cleaned Lee Hazen Studio in Hendersonville, and I. Wow. I did all that we all do for four years, and finally, I mean, I, I did love it. I loved the people, I loved the stories, but I was only always on the outside looking in. So at that point, I was 31. I thought, well, now this is a fine kettle of fish. I'm 31. Everybody else I know is married, on to their second promotion, and I'm starting over. But I met my wife, and I was like, okay, I'm going to get married. I'm going to finally become an adult, and I moved to Dallas because uh, my sister lived there, and I became a real estate broker and really tried to forget everything about Nashville that I could. I wouldn't even talk about it. I didn't. I, I really tried to burn the poet's clothes in a Dempsey dumpster in Little Rock in a Walmart shopping mm-hmm. center. But he. Uh, and how long? How long did you stay in Dallas? Mm, Thirteen years. Thirteen years. Yeah. So now, did you? Occasionally sneak down and get it to sit at the piano and, and work on I something. Would, Had, yeah, because it's I know once you kind of get the bug for writing songs, right. it, it gives you a feeling and an emotional thing yeah. that you kind of crave. Yes, yeah, it's the like release, a, I guess, or I don't know what it is. It's very cleansing. It is. It's, it's it used to be anyway. I remember that. <laughs> do you remember it? I don't have I it happen do. anymore. I do. Now I just go, ah, what's happening? Ah, yeah, yeah. Is this good? I think it's good, but I don't know. Right. But in the beginning, it was very cleansing to me to yeah. do it. Yeah. So so you would kind of sneak off, not sneak yeah. off, but you would on Saturday morning go play and right. write. Yeah. And then I, I had my spiritual epiphany, you know, about 1992, 93, which I was like, this is, this is terrible. Uh, I, you know, I'm not enjoying this. I'm a cynic and I'm jaded and I'm 40 years old. So I was like, okay, I got recentered. Uh, I want to just enjoy the God given gift of creativity. And so early one morning, you know, in 1993, I was at your alma mater at SMU. I sat down in the music department at the cup of coffee and a black and white composition book. And I wrote, you know, I think I'm on a roll here in Little Rock. Wait a minute. Did you write that in the piano room yes. in the basement? Uh, up on the like the second or the third second, floor. Third floor. I mean, yeah. So where the symphony practices. Yes. Same building. One of those big. Is rooms. it Meadows building? Yes. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. You wrote. I used to play in there. I know it. I know it. Yeah. I used to cut class and sit in those piano practice rooms and right. write songs all day. It's a glorious environment. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? The room. They're really small rooms, but they oh, have nice gosh, pianos. Yeah. Right. 
But it's tiny in there. I've been in all of them. This one happened to be one of the big classrooms. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Big, the big. uh, That is so crazy, Tom. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I used to cut class repeatedly and go work on those pianos and write songs. Yeah, I lived on Amherst. That's where I I got the bug. It was right there. Yeah, there's something. Maybe something's in the. Maybe so. La Madeline Water there. Wow. Okay, so. So you wrote a little rock, and then uh, it got heard, and then uh, you know it. As soon as you got here, things really took off. I think people really recognized what you had to offer, and you're you've been with Sony, and they've been yeah. you know really effective at, at at the marketing side of this thing that we right. all need. Yes, but let me ask you this question: So your father was a musician. Yeah, I read that. Right now, have you? Do you think that your father? would have preferred to be a musician or did he like being a hobby guy? Well, I, I think he was an artist and uh, I think, but now my father, you know, was older when I was born. My father mm-hmm. was born in 1911. Right. So my father was, it was kind of, you know, when he was in so college. So he was 20 in the Depression. Yeah, so he, my so father that's a huge and deal. mother were, a child, were both children yeah, of the my Depression. My dad was born in 32 during the Depression, but it was such a big deal that it influenced their whole family. Yeah. His mother, my grandmother, would never stop talking about it, right. even in the 80s. Yeah, so once you, you know, and so we... My father carried that. Just the the jobs. My father got a job with United States Steel out of college and had the exact same job until he retired. He had forty five years wow. as a salesman for United States Steel. So, do you think that because of how he was raised and what they went through, everyone went through the depression? Right. It was horrible. I don't. People can't really understand now. Yeah, I don't think they do. Right, but it's hard to. But uh, so. Do you think because of the fear of that, uh, that he never even considered that he would oh, pursue? No, it was. I mean, music. He just he didn't have the luxury. He just had yeah, to get to business. Exactly. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, music was a luxury to me. It was an avocation. Music was, you know, highly, uh, uh, you know, esteemed in my household. He loved. I mean, everything from Mitch Miller to Tony Bennett to Sinatra to Christopherson to the Beatles. I mean, he loved it all, and he loved songs, and that's wow. really where I kind yeah, of my dad loved songs, too. Yeah, that's where I got um, my love for it. Yeah, me too, because my father played it a little bit. It doesn't sound like as much as yours, but he, he, he was aware of songwriting, the process, the yeah. people who did it, and we would buy records and look yes. and talk about it, Right. who wrote what, and uh, that got me into it, too. Um so it's interesting to me, though, you, you sort of struggled with your father's demons mm-hmm. and then finally broke through to this other side. Yeah. Sort of a dream of your father's. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, so my father, you know, I think he enjoyed, even though he was terrified, you know, when I would kind of get close to music. But uh, I think vicariously, you know, he was living through me. And I was, you know, I think we're... In one sense or another, you know, I think all boys are trying to, uh, you know, kind of fulfill their father's dreams. Absolutely. Just a, you know, we don't want to disappoint our mothers, right. and we're trying to make our fathers proud of yeah. us. Yeah, and it's a generational thing where something's, see, it's sort of an arc where things, yeah. something's trying to work out, and right. you fuse the two. You, you, you are an artist, Yeah, but you're a very successful businessman. Right. 
Well, I know. I, I, I don't, I don't feel thinking myself that way either. But you are. Yeah, yeah. It's it, you we, are. We, I mean, yeah. We got little businesses that. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. It doesn't seem like one, but it is. I yeah, guess. Yeah. I know. You know, they say that. Why every time they say it, I'm like, that's right. Like, that's, the, you know, music's a business, and I still I will listen to that and I go, yeah, that's right. Oh, I forgot. Uh, yeah, is it? It's not. It's uh, not. Not what we do is not a business. Yeah. There's we know a, better than there's that. There's a time for that. But. Yeah. I always hear that talk, and I think, don't, let's, let's stop talking about that because you're going to scare all the muses out of the <laughs> That's building. That's right. They don't like that. The muse gets uh, gets. No, nervous. the muse wants to help people, yeah. I think. Yeah, right. Again, that's the whole thing. It's like the most money to be made. It's, look at Tony Robbins, the guys like that. I mean, that's the most money comes from serving people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, that's where I learned that was from him. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. I think it's I think it's true concept. and I think people don't think of it that way. Yeah. But that's but that's our our deal. Some of the songs that you've written, My Little Girl, I mean, you know, and I have a daughter. I mean, guys listen to that on the radio and just cry. <laughs> you do because you know, even for me as a writer, um you know, we're all pretty in touch with our emotions, but a lot of guys don't really deal in that world. Right. And so you've, you've sort of helped them with that, mm-hmm. you know, cause they don't, they're not really, they don't, they can't access that. Yeah. It's, it's there, but it's, you know, it's just the kind of the learned yeah. uh, discipline of, you know, being able to tap into that. Yeah. And I think people who do this also naturally enjoy going there yeah. as far as like putting all their crap out on the table. Yeah. No, don't you think it's interesting? You know, you go for a, you you can go into a writing session, your publisher set up, and you'll sit in front of somebody that you don't know at all. I know it. And literally within fifteen seconds, you're like telling them the craziest, darkest, gnarliest secret in your life. It is, and and people are crying, and it's just like crazy that that would be. Yeah, it's kind of the the sacredness of the writer's room. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's one of the great things about it. Yeah, yeah, we can't. We just, I think we long to get back there that's yeah kind of that yeah i think if you write four days a week or three or four you probably don't need therapy no oh gosh yeah <laughs> no i mean i'm yeah maybe some maybe <laughs> i'd like to hear you talk about because i think you have a really great positive take on the business mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of people in town that would are guys guys mm-hmm. and gals you know who you hear a lot of skies falling mm-hmm. because we're not really you know, and I know you do, and I do, and a lot of people do. There's a lot of songs running on YouTube with 100 million plays, and we get like $7, and yes. that just doesn't seem right. Right. And, and also, YouTube is now the radio for kids. So if that's where they're going to play the music, and we are the copyright holders, we're going to have to get more money yeah. out of that. Right. My kids have always used YouTube for the radio. They don't yeah. listen to terrestrial radio. Right. And or they'll use Spotify, which I think they're working that out, but... What's your take on, on all of that? You know, you, you feel like they will work it out and will get paid enough for everybody to still do this? Well, you know, I mean, yes. Uh, even though I'm really, you wouldn't, if you followed me around for a few days, you would, you would not think of me as an optimist. But I am very optimistic about certain things, and I'm, I'm very optimistic about, about that. Um, so, you know, we live, uh, you know, under a consent decree that was, that was written in 1945. And that really controls, you know, we're the only industry in America where 70% of our income is dictated by the government. I mean, it's, it's, it truly mm-hmm. is the most, it is what it is. But, um, 
we do have advocates, the Nashville Songwriters Association, Association International. We've got, you know, the Performing Rights Societies. We've got the NMPA. We've got, we do have advocates, but I mean, it, it is a David versus Goliath uh, battle because we, we've got the technology companies and, you know, you take, you know, the easiest uh, target that there is, you take the streaming services. The streaming services are doing what they're supposed to do, which mm-hmm. is they are a corporation and they live to maximize the profits and the return on the investment, investment, you know, for their shareholders. So you can't, I mean, you can't really get mad at them. There's not like the, they're Darth Vader and the right. evil empire. They're doing what corporations do. They, they, they're trying to maximize profit. They're doing it at our expense. Right, based on some antiquated uh, legal things right. and not at a anywhere close to what would be a market value. Yeah. The market's not working, you know, in a capitalist way because it's 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 this law. Yeah. So it it's not it's not a free market system. No, it's 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 not it's not free market, and that's really as as writers, that's all we want. Uh, we it'd be like you know owning a house and then having somebody tell you what what you can sell it for, rather than mm-hmm. being able to take it to the free market. Honestly, it's it. Here's what I think in terms of that kind of gets me through the day. And I have a daughter that's 26 that's writing songs with my encouragement. So. I understand fully what you know what the pitfalls are for the next generation, but as a as a creative person, as a songwriter, I bet your story and mine is similar. Which is, I have paid people to let me write songs. I have done it for free. Mm-hmm. I've given songs away. I don't do this for money. I for, like to yeah. make money. That that. But the truth of the matter is. Whether I get paid or whether I have to pay somebody, I do this because I have to. I have no other choice. Mm-hmm. And I think as a songwriter, at certain point, you just have to compartmentalize your life and you think, I do believe that you know that the powers that be are going to finally one day wake up and the politics and the laws will be changed and there will be you know more equality in that. But that doesn't make a hill of beans to me today. Today, I have something that deep, you know, is a fire that burns within my soul, and I have to let it, you know, I just let it out and open up a vein and I have to bleed on the page. That's that's what I do as a songwriter. So I try, I try, I just, I think it honestly is a mistake for us to spend the majority of our mm-hmm. time worrying about it. I, I, I don't care. I, I agree. I, I think I, I understand you now because I, 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 I that's why I wanted to ask it. You're absolutely 100 percent correct because we both know people who get so caught up in this that it yeah. affects their creative output. Yes, and that that's no that's that's not good. Right. And and let's be honest, we're not gonna. I mean, we'll do anything we can do. Yes. But it's probably not going to be us. It's you know, it's Bart and those guys are going to yes. be up there, and we just got to support these people that are trying to help us. Absolutely, you know. And like you said, I mean, if it gets to where it jams us up, or we can't think about anything else, that is not good. On the other hand, it is awareness, and the artists. Uh, I think the artists are 
could be a big key to helping with it, you know, yeah. because they they are the face of our business, right? And someone like, and I know that Taylor Swift has She's been amazing. She is amazing, you know, yeah. and but it, it, that's probably where they could start moving some of these boulders, right? Is with the artists because yeah. people do listen to them, and 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 we're like you said, it's David against Goliath, right? And, but but the other side, it's a small industry and it's an American industry, and it's and it's. Yeah. A, it's one of the truly American things. Right. Oh, gosh. Creative I mean, writing. I yes. mean, if like there's nothing, in my opinion, right. besides farming, I mean, that's like, it's core. Well, it's core to who we are. Who we are, yeah. It, it's, it's, I mean, it, it really is, it's, it's, if the public knew about all the, you know, the constraints and the laws that were, you know, these archaic laws that are now, you know, loopholes and these right. old laws were being uh, uh, manipulated by big corporations that do what big corporations do. Uh, I think the public would be outraged and change would happen. But mm-hmm. change will slowly occur. It will. Uh, and, uh, and I'm all for it. I agree. I've been to Washington. I've lobbied. I support, you know, all these organizations that advocate for us. But that's not my primary job. My primary job is to, is to, is to you know just be able to you know sit down and stare at a blank page and you know uh, you know try to create something that is going to be meaningful to me and at some point I hope it's meaningful to somebody else. Awesome, Tom Douglas. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Pleasure. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to Pitch List, the Songwriters Podcast.